Well, today is All Saints Day in the church. This is an important holiday. I don't know about you, but I, I grew up in a tradition that didn't celebrate All Saints Day. But this is, this is a wonderful, wonderful day in the church calendar. This is a day in which we give thanks to God for all the saints who have gone before us, men and women who have passed down the faith from generation to generation. But also this is an important day because our church, Restoration Anglican, we turned two years old today. Woo! <laughs> so after the service, uh, we're going to have some, some good old Costco uh, sheet cake available, because uh, how else do you celebrate a birthday without that, right? Uh, so many thanks to all of you, uh, well, to those of you who've been here since the beginning, and to those of you who maybe this is your first Sunday, thank you for coming here and celebrating this with us. But also this is special because we've got some baptisms today. We've got four children who we're welcoming into the household of God today. Praise the Lord. And do you hear the common thread that is going through each of these things that we're commemorating today? Do you see the common thread running through them? You see, it's the steadfast love of the Lord endures from generation to generation. His mercies are new every morning. So thank you, everyone, for being here this morning, where we can gather together and lift high the name of Christ. Well, not only is this an exciting day in particular, but this is, this is an exciting season that we find ourselves in as, as a church planting organization, a body. As a, um, this is an exciting season to be in. So it's become customary for us in the month of November to preach on a different part of our church's identity. Uh, last year, if you heard from no, uh, in November, you may recall that we preached through our church's five values, uh, reconciliation, hospitality, wholeness, contemplation, and mission. So if you want to hear more about that, visit our website, check out that sermon series. This year, I want to do something very similar. This year, I want to preach on another aspect of our identity, which is the mission statement of our diocese. Now, a diocese is simply a, a fancy way of saying a, a regional grouping of, of churches. And our churches are, are, in this diocese are very tight with one another. We love one another a lot. We've got Father Paul from Redeemer here who's helping out in the service. Uh, yeah, our, our churches are very close. And the mission statement is this. We are planting a revival of word and sacrament infused by the Holy Spirit. We are planting a revival of word and sacrament infused by the Holy Spirit. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to be preaching on a different uh, line or a different uh, part of that mission statement. And today we're going to be preaching on uh, the word revival. Now for some of you, as soon as you hear the word revival, you maybe recoil a little bit. Like, that's an uncomfortable word. It's also not really a word that you hear in Anglican circles that much, let's be honest. Some of you might be coming from traditions where you're like, I totally own that word. What are you doing using that word? It's, it's a word that, that's, that's been abused a little bit over the years, right? Uh, maybe if you hear the word revival, you think anti-intellectualism. Or maybe you think emotionalism. Or maybe you associate the word revival with seeking after an emotional high, rather than the reality of Jesus Christ himself. Maybe you think the word revival is, is folks who are preoccupied with the gift rather than the great giver. No doubt the word revival has been manipulated, uh, has been used to manipulate people's emotions. But as our bishop says, we need to revive the word revival. We need to have a true biblical, holy understanding of what the word revival actually means.
So literally, the word revival means to bring new life to something. To, it's when something has new life that breathes into it again. So uh, I, I don't know. Um, I'll, pick, I'll pick on, you know what? I'll pick on Joel. I haven't picked on you for a while. So if Joel were to fall over right now, uh, we would, someone would probably run over to Joel and resuscitate him with CPR or something. In fact, you've, you've got some doctors sitting by you right now, so they would hopefully be quick to help you out. <laughs> and what we would say, we would say that Joel was revived, that life was brought back to Joel again, and we, we would thank God for um, putting people around you who could take care of you very easily. Robert Coleman, the author of The Master Plan of Evangelism, defines revival this way. He says, revival is the return of something to its true nature, the return of something to its original purpose. So people of restoration, does that, does that description sound familiar to you at all? To have something returned to its original purpose? I hope so, because we talk about that a lot here at this church. You see, revival is a restoration word. So if you've ever come to me saying, man, I love the word restoration, that resonates with me. I feel like the Lord is, is bringing new life into me. I believe like he's giving me new purpose. I just love this idea of restoration. Guess what? You're already experiencing a part of this revival. You're already seeing what this revival movement means and what, it's a part of, or what it means to be a part of it. So today I've got two goals for us. Uh, I've got two things that I want us to, to chat about today. Or two goals. First, I want you to know that restoration, this church, what you are experiencing here, is not an anomaly. This isn't necessarily a a rare thing, I would even say. But instead, you are a part of a diocese. You are a part of a gospel movement that is taking place right now across this continent. You are a part of a larger family. If you visited some of our other churches, some of what I'm about to say today is going to sound kind of familiar to you. Because this is something that we love to talk about. In fact, our bishop has said, I want you to be preaching about these things. Preach about revival of word and sacrament in your churches. So you might visit another Anglican church and, and hear some of these things. You are a part of a family. But the second thing is this. I want you to see God's desires for you personally. For your own heart. For where you are right now in your relationship with the Lord. This is about not just church planting or or corporate mantras or whatever, things like that. This is about what God wants to do in your life. Brothers and sisters, we are experiencing a revival of word and sacrament infused by the Holy Spirit. So I've got three parts of this message that we're going to go through. We're going to talk about God's passion for revival. We're going to talk about his power in revival. And then we're going to talk about his planting of revival. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on just one particular passage, so I'm going to, we're going to be flying at kind of the, the 50,000-foot level uh, today. So first, God's passion for revival. What does revival even look like in the scriptures? Well, we see this pattern kind of emerge time and time again of revival. It's when God's people, the people who he has claimed as his own, rebel against him. They start to go to other gods and, and pray to them and worship them and, and, and seek after them and their will. So they descend into rebellion and death. But then God initiates a turn of events. God raises them back to life again. And we see God's passion for revival repeated over and over. 
And his promise for this starts even in the first couple chapters of the Bible. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve fall into sin and death. But God, even in that moment, even in their brokenness, promises hope for them. He says, through you, one will come who will crush the head of the serpent. In other words, God is promising that he will conquer death and he will bring life back again. And this story of God's people continues. We see this pattern emerge uh, as we flip through the pages of the Old Testament. It repeats over and over and over where God's people rebel against him. They fall uh, away from worshiping the Lord. They become ensnared by death. But then a prophet comes, preaches to them repentance. There's conviction, confession, forgiveness, and then an outpouring of Holy Spirit celebration. So here's a couple examples. We're going to run through these very quickly. So in Judges 6, we see the Gideon revival. This is where God told Gideon to tear down those places of child sacrifice and pagan worship. And he stirs, the Lord stirs people's hearts to honor the life that they have been given. In 2 Chronicles 7, we see the Solomon revival, where people confess their sins and worship God in the beauty of the newly constructed temple. In 2 Kings 22 and 23, we see the Josiah revival, where after discovering God's word, Josiah led the people to a restoration of the Passover feast. One could even say this is a precursor of word and sacrament revival. In Nehemiah 6, we see the Ezra revival, where God brings back the people from exile to their homes so they can be given new life and worship him with all of their might. And then in the opening pages of the Gospels, we see the John the Baptist revival, where again, a prophet calls people to repentance and they all fall into deeper relationship with God. So why am I pointing all of these out? Why do I go through all of these? Is it because I think that there's a predictable pattern of of revival that is formulaic, that we can just kind of do A, B, and then C will follow? No way. That's not what I mean to imply by this. This isn't a formula. Rather, this is the faithfulness of God. He is constant. He is relentless. His love is unending for his people. And so for you all, I want you to to have eyes to see revival in the pages of the Holy Scriptures. Because I want you to see that no matter how far you've wandered from God, there is always hope to come back. That is what the scriptures are about, is that God is always bringing people back to himself because our Lord has a passion for revival, for bringing new life back. So right now, I I verified this with my wife because I'm not a gardener. Uh, She told me that this is true, that that now is the season in which we plant bulbs. Uh, Del, you were were verifying this last night in our conversation. Yes, it it is a season of planting bulbs. And planting bulbs is, is it's not necessarily challenging work. You just dig a hole, you put the bulb in there, and you, you hope that it's pointing the right way. You cover it back up, and then you just you step back, and you just wait, and you wait, and you wait. And that's probably the hardest part, right? You wait all winter along, and at the end of winter, when the weather starts to warm up a little bit, you see these sprouts poking out. Now, what we don't do... Well, there's a number of things that we actually don't do when we plant bulbs. Halfway through the winter, we don't dig them back up and kind of inspect them. And we don't yell at them. We're like, hey, grow. Why aren't you growing? Grow more. We don't do that. 
we don't massage the bulbs or anything like that. You know, we don't, we don't pull or tug on the bulbs. That would disrupt them. That would probably kill them. Uh, we don't, our job is to do nothing. We simply wait. And after months of this, many months, many, many months here in Minnesota, eventually they grow. They poke out. We see these beautiful, bright, aromatic flowers that are just gorgeous and they smell wonderful. What we do is we put this seemingly dead seed in the ground and then in the mystery of God's timing, life emerges, right? And that life is an announcement. It's saying this is now the season of life. That which is dead is alive again. Well, friends, may this be a reminder of our Lord Jesus Christ and the life that he promises to us. In Jesus Christ, we see the power of revival. We see the power of revival. You see, Christ came to earth, he humbled himself, he clothed himself in flesh, and then as we read in our uh, gospel passage today, he descended all the way down into death. Jesus Christ was betrayed by a friend. He was handed over to the state authorities. He was falsely condemned as a criminal. He's beaten, mocked, and pierced. And for our sake, he dies upon a cross. He descends into death and is laid down under the ground in a tomb. Now, just to be clear, Jesus doesn't die because he rebelled. He doesn't die because he sinned. No, he took our sin and our rebellion upon himself, and he paid a debt that we ourselves never could have paid. Well, as we read in our story today, some of Jesus' friends, some, some women who, who had been followers of him, uh, came to the tomb. They wanted to mourn his death. And as they're there, they're mourning. Uh, the men, they're all still hiding. Peter and the disciples, they're hiding in a room somewhere, hiding and covered in shame by the things that they had done. Well, an angel meets the women. And I love what it says and what the angel says in verse 5. He says, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. And then the angel goes on, remember that he must suffer and die, and on the third day he will rise again. You see, it's in their remembering of Jesus' words, in their witness of Jesus' death and his resurrection, the disciples themselves get to experience a revival, a cross-centric, a Jesus-centric, a resurrection-centric revival. You see, the power of revival is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I love this next part. In verse 12, we read, don't miss those three words in verse 12. It says, but Peter rose. That's not a, a throwaway line. It's not a mistake that the gospel writer says that. I usually don't tell you to underline parts in your Bible. I kind of feel like that's a personal thing. Uh, but if you want to underline, but Peter rose, that would be a good part to underline. Because here's the thing, it's by Jesus' resurrection that we ourselves are able to rise. Peter had a revival that day. In the power of Jesus' resurrection, Peter went from lying down to rising up. Him and the disciples and the other women went from a place of fear to freedom, from hiding to proclaiming, from mourning to laughter, from death to life. Jesus rises so that we too might rise again. Christian revival is fueled by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is, the power of that is the power of revival. 
So some would say that the most sustained revival in modern times has been the East African revival. This is a wonderful revival. Those of you who've, who've studied the global church know that we're still today feeling the effects of the East African revival. It spanned all the way from the 20s, all the way through the 70s. It spread from Uganda to Rwanda to Burundi to parts of what's now modern-day Congo and beyond. Well, one gentleman, uh, his name's Norman Grubb, rather unfortunate last name, <laughs> Norman Grubb, he was a, a student, a Christian student in England, and he had experienced some uh, revival movements going on in England, and he heard about what was going on in Africa, and so he wanted to go and check it out for himself. And so he says this upon seeing and experiencing what was going on in East Africa. He says, I had a misconception that revival could only come in great yet short soul-shaking outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And he says, but now I see the revival in everyday affairs. In other words, revival wasn't just the uh, spectacular thing that he was seeing, but it was changing the ordinary lives of men and women, thousands of them, entire villages would convert at a time. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead was bringing new life to an entire generation. And then Norman Grubb, in 1951, he prayed this, he wrote this. He said, oh, that the Africans would come as missionaries to the United States. He says, oh, that Africans would send teams to bring revival to the United States. What a beautiful prayer that is. Well, if you know any history of our denomination, of the Anglican Church, you know that in the 90s, our denomination just was in shambles. There was sin and darkness and despair everywhere. There was disunity. We were fractured all over the place. It was in shambles. But then in 2000, bishops from Rwanda came over here to America, and they sparked a revival here on American soil. They ignited a movement of, of gospel Anglicanism here in America, you have Africans and Americans. You've got blacks and whites who are confessing sins to one another, who are forgiving one another. You have a movement of unity that is happening. You have renewed hope that is happening. You see a revival in the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he can reconcile those who are thousands of miles away. Norman Grubb's prayer is being answered even here today, now, because God is planting a revival Tim Keller says this. He says that revival is the continual work of the church. The continual work of the church. God loves to create gardens for his people. In the beginning, God placed man and woman in a garden, the Garden of Eden, and they were tasked with keeping it, with tending to it. And in the Old Testament, as, as we see the temples being built, the temple is adorned with, with leaves made out of gold and vines made out of gold and fruit made out of gold. It's a beautiful, beautiful temple. There's radiant jewels everywhere. So one, when they looked at the temple, they would, they would imagine in their minds, or they would see this, this sparkling, heavenly garden that, uh, before them. And then in the book of Revelation, we're told that the throne room of God is described as a garden where there is a river flowing from the throne, where there are trees and fruit everywhere. And in fact, all the beautiful churches and the sanctuaries and cathedrals across the world have a lot of garden imagery throughout them, right? In beautiful, you'd walk into a beautiful church and you would see stone vines that are going up pillars. 
And the idea is that you would be stepping back into a garden of Eden. Well, some of you here today feel like you're in a barren wasteland. You hear that garden imagery and you would say that that doesn't really describe where you're at right now. In fact, I don't have to convince you that that in a lot of ways, our society at large feels like a barren wasteland. Materialism is just stripping us, right? It's making us feel like we're all these mechanistic cogs in a great machine. People are, are, you know, slaying each other in mass. But maybe some of you here are feeling this in a particularly acute sort of way. Maybe you're struck by loneliness. Sure, you might have great friends and some coworkers, but no one really knows you on the inside. No one knows the struggles that you're going through, the doubts that you're facing, the battles that you're fighting, the fears that you're pushing back. Or some of you might be overcome with rage that just boils up at times. You can't explain it. You just turn on the news and you're just filled with anger and you're not sure what to do with this, what to, what to do with all of that rage. Or maybe some of you just don't even see any meaning of life. You're going through the motions of modern living. You just wake up, you go to work, you come back home, you binge on some Netflix for a little bit, you go to sleep and you just repeat it over and over and over. And this monotony is wearing you down and you're asking yourself, is there any further purpose in this life? Is there any hope of something more in this life? Is there any significance to all of this? So it's easy for us to feel like we are in this barren wasteland. So here's my invitation to you this morning. Plant yourselves in the garden of the church. Plant yourselves in the garden of the church. This is a place where God wants to revive you. This is a place where he wants to breathe new life into you. We are all like that seemingly dead bulb that just needs to be planted down into the rich soil of the church where we wait on the Lord in his rich timing to call forth life, where we can bear such great fruit, right? Through baptism, you are buried with Christ. Here in the safety of the church is where we confess our sins to God, a continual bearing that we experience week after week. And this is a place where the gentle gardener of your soul comes and showers you with his water, where he gives you his grace, where he gives you a foretaste of that heavenly throne room where there will be healing, full restoration. Here in this garden is where we learn how to abide in Christ. We enjoy the beauty of God's fruit here. And this, brothers and sisters, ought to be a vibrant ecosystem. Don't be fooled by the bricks and the sportsmanship code or anything like that. This is a beautiful, and really don't look at those wrestling mats. This is a beautiful garden. This is where we celebrate the good things of God. This is where we bring in our offering and we lift it up to the Lord and say, thank you, Lord Jesus. This is a place where we experience healing and wholeness. We bring our burdens to the Lord and he washes us clean and he gives us hope and joy and healing. You see, friends, God has a passion for revival, for new life, and he has the power to give it to you. We have testimonies here about that. And he is inviting you to be planted in the church. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.